in the altcoin season, if you are not searching for crypto gems on KuCoin, you're doing it wrong. As the home of altcoins, KuCoin is offering over 600 tradable coins. Whether you are a beginner or professional trader, you can always find a good product fit on KuCoin, ranging from earning products with passive income to derivatives trading with up to 100 times leverage. Sign up today to find the next crypto gem in DeFi, GameFi, NFT, and Metaverse. Join us with 10 million global investors and claim your $500 welcome bonus now. Welcome to KuCoin. It's K-U-C-O-I-N. Sign up to get a 500 USDT welcome bonus. Welcome to the CoinGecko Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Young. Each week, we'll be interviewing someone from the blockchain industry to learn more about this fast-moving cryptocurrency economy. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The CoinGecko Podcast is produced each week to help you stay ahead of the curve. Show notes can be found at podcast.coingecko.com. I highly encourage you to join our newsletter where we send out top news in the crypto industry every Monday to Friday. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Telegram at CoinGecko. Hello everyone, my name is Ben and as usual, I am the host for today's podcast. Today's guest is Nico Hosen, the CTO of Renmint. We are going to talk about the crossover between sports memorabilia and Web3 through NFTs. Welcome to the show, Nico. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ben. Yeah, great to have you. Before we begin, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in crypto. What is your favorite NFT? Yeah, so I um, got started in crypto uh, in college, actually. So I uh, got into building Bitcoin mining rigs in my dorm room. Um, and at the time they were just stacked in my dorm room inside of milk crates. And, um, I was studying economics and after school, I ended up going into TradFi and I worked in TradFi for about a year, almost two years. Um, and immediately knew that I wanted to get into crypto full time. Um, so from there I started, once I made that decision, um, I switched full time into crypto and I've been working in the crypto industry. Um, as an engineer and somewhat of a product manager for the last almost seven years. Um, and my favorite NFT at the moment, because it's um, fresh fresh on my mind to the potential land sale, is probably my Mutant Ape. <laughs> right, right. Cool, cool. All right. <clears throat> now on to the crux of the session. All right, some context. Could you define what sports memorabilia is? Yeah, so sports memorabilia um, typically is any type of physical hard asset that has a piece of um, significant cultural or historical value. Um, so when we think of sports memorabilia, we think of assets like uh, a game-worn jersey, um, a ticket to the first World Series, a baseball that is signed by Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, uh, etc. Um, and it, it's very important to know that the assets that we define as, as true sports collectibles um, span many different sports, right? Um, a lot of times we think about, you know, football, basketball, baseball, um, when in reality, the market is everything from cricket to bass fishing to esports. And so it's very important for us to kind of cast that wide net 
um, and understand that there's a, a market to address in each one of those individual sports. I'm, I'm curious, does this include uh, unrelated sports items and equipment that is related to the user? So for example, uh, I can think of Michael Jordan using his own plate. Would that count as sports memorabilia? Or is it more like it has to be his basketball? <laughs> um, I think it's, <laughs> that's a funny example. I think it's closer defined as to an asset that was used while the athlete was playing a sport, right? Got Although um, you do have interesting parallels with you, you, Michael Jordan as an example, right? Has his own shoe line, as we all know. Um, yeah. And so there are very unique pieces from his shoe line um, as he released more shoes throughout the years. So the different numbers of the retro Jordans, um, there are some very unique first pairs of those that are signed by Michael Jordan. And we do generally loop that in with sports memorabilia and collectibles as a whole, um, because those are highly desirable asset. Yeah. So from what I'm getting, there's no hard and fast rule. Uh, but it is pretty much anything that anyone will want, basically. If there's a collective value involved, uh, more like, it'll more likely be regarded as sports memorabilia. Yeah, um, I think the probably the safer generalization is collectibles at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So, so anything yep. that's collectible, uh, as you said, that that anybody attributes value to, um, we we like to we like to play around with. Cool, and. How do NFTs come into play, you know, for, for this whole thing? And what is Ramin's role in this regard? Yeah. So if you think about the history of sports collectibles, um, traditionally, they're, they're very difficult to, to purchase. They're very difficult to sell. They're very difficult to transport. Anytime you buy a game-worn Michael Jordan jersey from 1989, 1990 season, um, and, and you transport that asset, there's a high risk that of damage or theft or you name it of that asset. And so if you take a use case like NFTs, um, what we do in our approach to, to, to that problem is we actually vault the asset for you. And so every NFT that we produce is backed by the physical asset that's stored in our vault. And so what that does is it eliminates that risk when you're moving the asset and it makes that asset instantly available to a global market okay that's really cool do you are all these backed by one once uh do you for example fractionalize the uh, assets as well yeah so we are working on fractionalization uh in q2 of this year and we will be putting out some really special high value pieces um that will go up and be available for a fractionalized or for a fractionalized offering I think uh, a lot of viewers will be more familiar with, you know, the more mainstream sports-related platforms in crypto, such as SoRare and Topshot. Uh, could you elaborate, you know, is there any collaborations or crossovers between sports memorabilia uh, on these platforms and, for example, on Redmond? Yeah, so I think um, this comes up in conversation with us a lot, and we view ourselves as very complementary to what Topshot and SoRare offer. Um, and the reason for that is the, the collectibles market traditionally is very difficult to navigate. Um, it's built on a lot of longstanding relationships and, and trust. And assets that haven't been seen in 20 years um, are very difficult to 
get out of it a collection and make available to the general public. And so through the relationships that we have, we're able to actually pull out some really special pieces that uh, nobody has potentially seen in the last 20, 30 years. And when we do drops like that, and you look at kind of the, the digital only offerings on uh, Top Shot and So Rare, we view that as a collaboration uh, potential because we could have a piece from an athlete that's very, very special, and they could be doing a digital drop, and there, there could be some really interesting synergies there. Um, we are working on partnerships with purely digital um, NFT providers, and the way that we are approaching it is, is just as I mentioned, we, we are complementary with the actual physical asset, and they provide the digital-only experience. You mentioned earlier about drops. I'm curious, how often do NFT drops occur? And, you know, what is the participant rate, participant rate like in terms of buyers and sellers? Yeah. So we launched about a month ago um, and we launched with four assets that we call our Genesis assets. Our plan moving forward is to have an asset drop every week. And so next week, we will have a collection of four assets dropping at the same time. No um, focus around baseball assets. And so moving forward, we're experimenting with different assets. Um, depending on what sport is in season, we might do baseball, we might do soccer the following week. Um, because we are so new, we're, we're very much in a learning phase and trying to uh, understand our audience and understand what assets they, they want to see on the platform. Um, and as we learn and as we grow, we, we will get better on nailing down, okay, uh, next week we're going to drop um, a Pele asset just throwing names out there, right? Um, so far, our engagement has been pretty good. Uh, we've seen two of our highest value assets sell um, the ultra rare one of ones. We have done um, a drop on eBay with Probstein 123. Probstein is the highest grossing uh, sports collectible store on eBay. And we did a partnership drop with Probstein about a week ago, and we sold a pair of Steph Curry shoes. Um, that partnership and those type of sales funnels are things that we're, um, we're experimenting with to try and bring more users to the platform. Um, if you think about kind of the current traditional sports collectors market, they're not necessarily the same demographic as the Web3 NFT crowd. And yeah. so there's a huge educational piece that is very, very important to the core of our business. And as we experiment with these different sales funnels, We've, we're learning very quickly that there's a, um, there's a lot of time that we have to spend educating and guiding the potential uh, buyers to, okay, this is how you set up a wallet. This is how you actually make the transaction. Um, and what we're finding is that our users actually appreciate that because everybody knows what an NFT is now, right? And yeah. a lot of a lot of people kind of suffer from that sticker shock of, okay, I want to get into an NFT, but I have no idea what to, I, I have no idea how to get into it. And the NFTs that I'm hearing about are selling for $10 million, $50 million. And it almost scares them away to a certain extent. And so education, coming back to the education piece, it's very, very much important for us to, to, spend that extra bit of time right now, making sure our UX is smooth, making sure we put out quality content on Medium, on Twitter, um, so that we help guide potential users and help grow the platform. Yeah, I, I would think that the kind of demographics that participate in sports collectibles are generally 
the older generation, if I'm not mistaken, really, or am I completely wrong? Of course, and you know. <laughs> so I think traditionally it has been, but mm-hmm. if so, this idea actually came about um, during the start of the pandemic, and. Uh, I'll quickly tell the story, but my co-founder and I um, were sitting at home and uh, we were all in lockdown and we got really into Pokemon and sports card collecting. And I, Pokemon resonate with me very much because as a child, I would go to the store and I would buy the newest Pokemon booster pack and I would come home and I would play with my friends. Same here, same here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so a couple of times when I ordered cards off of eBay, they showed up to my house and they showed up um, either damaged or uh, they were fake or uh, you name it. Right. And so we sat down and I, I said, Hey, um, Brett, who's my co-founder. I said, Hey, there's, there's a better way to do this. Let's, let's see if we can build something around this. And so that's how we got to rare Mint. And when we first started with this idea, we started doing user interviews and we, we interviewed everyone, um, you know, from the 20 range to 20 to 40, even 45, I believe. And we noticed that there was a significant uptick in interest of um, Gen Z and early millennials that really, really had uh, spent a lot of time and invested a lot of money and energy into learning about sports cards, learning about sports collectibles, learning about Pokemon. And that's kind of when the light clicked and we said, okay, well, there is some crossover there because the millennial crowd is, is very much the largest purchasing uh, group of NFTs at the yep. moment. And, and that's when we were like, okay, this is, this is what we're going to build. Right. Um, so to answer your question, the, Physical sports collector, I think, is is skewed a little bit towards the um, towards the older side, a little bit more mature. Um, but the millennial and Gen Z are catching up extremely fast, right? And when you think about this, I have a niece, right, and she's five. And you know, 10, 15 years from now, when she's hanging out in her favorite metaverse. She's not going to walk into the metaverse with her Apple stock and show her friends and say, hey, guys, look at my Apple stock, right? Yeah. No, she's, she's going to be spending her money on alternative assets, um, assets that she, she likes and she understands. And she's going to walk in with her favorite uh, female FIFA players jersey on and showcase that to all, all of her friends. And so we're trying to get ahead of that. And um, yeah. Totally get it. I mean... It's it's inevitable, right? That's why we're all here. (laughs) Yeah. Could you tell me then, since uh, Ramin's inception, what is the biggest or most exciting sale you've seen yet? Yeah. So definitely, um, definitely our Art Basel Michael Jordan jersey sale. So um, we in December of last year uh, went to Art Basel and presented at a at one of the NFT showcase events. And, uh, my co-founder was running around with this, uh, Michael Jordan NFT and they were trying to get it set up on the screen. And then as they were at the event, they realized, oh, everyone else has a, um, has a QR code and they're selling their NFT at this event. And we didn't think about that when we got there, right? Because we're still in prototype phase. Um, and so they very quickly ran to Kinko's down the street, printed out a QR code and said, okay, we're going to sell this jersey. We're going to try to sell this jersey at this event. 
And as soon as they got back and put the price up, uh, no less than five minutes later, somebody walked up and said, I'll take it. Um, and so that jersey sold for 23 ETH uh, back in December. And that has by far been the, 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 largest, um, the largest purchase. Wow. So one of the things I'm, I keep hearing is that you know, all these are physically backed assets, but can Ramin owners actually redeem their corresponding physically backed asset? Yeah. So we have a redemption page um, on our site. And if you own a one-of-one ultra-rare NFT, um, we will, you will go in and you'll fill out the redemption form with the token ID and your shipping details. Uh, a member from our team will personally reach out and contact you and organize the insured delivery of the asset to you at your home or wherever you want it delivered. Um, the asset will be fully insured from our vault all the way to your home or your delivery location. Um, and once we receive the, once we get that request, we'll ask you to send us the NFT so we can burn it. Yeah, this, this is what I was thinking, right? Because if they actually get it, they might lose control of the NFT. They might do some manipulation here and there. So they will actually have to burn your NFT. Yeah, 100%. The only way for us to keep the, to keep that physical to digital link is by burning the NFT. Assuming they do not decide to redeem it, can they leave it in your vault indefinitely? <laughs> yeah. So the vaulting of the actual NFT, um, so whoever owns the NFT is technically the owner of the asset in our vault. And the KYC process for us does not come in until the redemption, uh, the redemption has been requested. So you're free to trade the asset on OpenSea or LooksRare, pick that secondary market, right? Um, we don't restrict that at all. Um, if you do decide, hey, I, I realize there, there's additional value layers because this, uh, this asset is in NFT form um, and you want to keep it in our vault, we have a royalty fee that's baked into our collection. So every, um, so every secondary market sale of one of our assets um, does have a royalty fee associated with that. And that's how we pay for vaulting and insurance. There's another thing that's been on my mind because this whole NFT thing, right? The whole movement behind it is always about uh, adoption rate. And I think one of the biggest barriers to entry in NFT world is intangibility. Now, Ramin's model relies on NFTs that are backed by physical assets. Uh, how do you address the acceptance gap for collectors who, you know, they, they don't really care about NFTs at all. They just want the asset itself. Um, could you, for example, maybe, would they want to skip the NFT process entirely and just buy the asset directly from you guys? Or, you know, I, I'm sure there are people like that. Yeah. So that goes back to the educational component, right? Um, so mm -hmm. if you take this asset, that's, uh, we use the Lou Gehrig baseball, for example, right? Traditionally that you would buy that asset, you'd spend $65,000 on that asset and it would sit on your desk and your office. Uh, collecting dust, right? Maybe maybe someone comes comes in your office and you show it off a couple times a year, etc. Um, when you turn this asset into an NFT, you open up and unlock additional value layers for that asset. Actually, able to turn it into a productive asset. If you think about a, a sixty five thousand dollar baseball, well, you can go out and you could take a loan against that asset, and lenders are very very comfortable with that because the NFT is actually backed by the physical asset. So you're now turning that ball that was sitting on your desk in a productive asset. You go out and perform 
whatever DeFi activity you want to with the um, with the money you've lent out against the asset. Um, in addition to that, there's exclusive pieces of content that are uh, surrounding some of the assets that we have. And some of those pieces of content are never before seen footage, um, never before seen photographs, uh, there are letters, depending on how old the asset is. So one thing that's really big for us is this thought that every asset has an origin story. And if you think about in, in the entire history of sports and of competitive sports, um, athletes really only started making money in the last 20, 30 years, right? A lot of athletes, after they were done playing, they would go to their job and they would go at to, they would go to their job at a car dealership. They would go at a, to a diner and, and, and serve food. And so all of these unique, extremely old pieces that we have, have really important stories that go along with the actual asset. Um, they tell the story of who, how the asset was, um, how the asset was signed, how the provenance was generated, and we're finding that our users are, are very much interested in those stories. And the more uh, the more pieces of content that we can unlock, just adds to those additional value layers that the pure digital or the the NFT uh, can can unlock for users. And right, and so yeah, I do think at the end of the day, you do have people that are going to be um, more fond of having the physical asset and that's fine. Um, you have that. I mean, that, that's a problem in crypto in general. Right. Um, but the, the, the uh, our approach is that the, the easier the experience that we can offer, um, and the more education that we can provide, um, the, the more and more conversions we're going to have over the years. You earlier mentioned that, you know, the sports memorabilia market is huge. There's a niche for every, sports industry as well. And I think uh, Ramin now is kind of focused on the American side of sports, but you know, there's a whole category out there. Uh, I'm just curious, could you share how big the sports memorabilia market is, whether just for whatever, you know, maybe just might be the American side. And could you share some of the characteristics? I think you already talked about liquidity. That's very hard to find and sell. But what about other factors like value appreciation and risk? So uh, the, total, the total market for sports collectibles worldwide is a little over $4 billion. And if you think about uh, appreciation, right? Um, so the, the Lou Gehrig Babe Ruth base, baseball that was signed by both of them and, and has this amazing story that goes with it. Lou Gehrig is never going to hit another baseball, right? Yep. And so there's a finite amount of supply of particular assets and particular like sub-asset classes. And through the years, assets that fall within that same category sometimes disappear. So what does that do? It adds value appreciation. It adds um, this bit of scarcity to uh, similar assets that uh, do exist and we know where they are. Um, and uh, one always interesting thing that I thought from the beginning of Rarement was, well, you know, we do have these assets in a vault, but what if, what if the vault, I don't know, what if there's an earthquake and the vault collapses and all of the assets are destroyed, which our vault is pretty much earthquake proof. So maybe that's not a good example, but uh, you, it, it, what I'm saying is what happens if that asset gets lost or destroyed? Well, then the actual NFT, the digital copy, 
is the only proof that that asset ever existed. And so that's really interesting to think about. Um, risk associated with the sports collectible market, I think traditionally sports collectibles have been a safe bet, um, especially throughout the last couple of years. Um, there, We've seen uh, significant increases in the value of uh, everything from sports cards to game-worn jerseys to uh, photo match signed shoes. And I don't think that's going anywhere. Um, uh, uh, again, the our, our belief is that the uh, Gen Z and the millennials, they value authenticity and they value scarcity very much. And we, if we continue to produce assets and mint assets that uh, check off all those criteria boxes, then the, the assets are, are going to steadily appreciate. And then a good, to, to, to finish it up with risk, I think inherently, you know, the transportation and logistics of, of moving assets back around and, and um, you, your risks associated with buying something that is not authentic. Um, they increase exponentially when you're dealing in physical assets. When you're dealing with a trusted vendor or a trusted partner that has multiple layers of authentic, uh, authenticity verification, of uh, providence verification of the asset, then it's a, it's a much easier sell to potential uh, buyers on secondary market. You kind of talked about the investment side of things. Are there any tips and tricks that you can share for budding spots, memorabilia collectors or investors? Yeah. So I think there are a lot of, it can be overwhelming when you're getting into the market, just like, and not just the NFT market. I mean, the sports collectible market as well. The NFT market itself is very, very overwhelming if you're new. Um, sports collectibles are tough to really pin down. Um, uh, they're tough to pin down uh, like a future appreciation rate. And so it's kind of tough to, to figure out, okay, what's going to be a good buy now or, and, and when can I exit that, that position, right? Um, what I will say is a lot of, you know, going back to, to the demographic that we believe to be, to be the, to have the, the purchasing power and actually be the ones purchasing. Um, we're finding that a lot of uh current relevant athletes, right? Um, think you're Patrick Mahomes, think you're Tom Brady, or athletes that are recently retired, right? Drew Brees. Um, assets from those athletes and that, that age range of athletes tend to do a little bit better. Um, and also, if you are just entering the space, it's a really good shot to buy up and coming, up and coming rookies. Um, so whether that be sports cards, whether that be jerseys, um, anyone that has just recently entered the league or is about to enter the league, um, you're going to have a, a really good chance at a moonshot if you um, if you if you play your cards right on on that on those two kind of athlete classes. And I assume you also have to be a sports enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you ha you have to know you, you have to be in the know a bit. Um, yeah. So yeah, right. I to round off the session. What are Ramin's plans for 2022? Yeah. So we are, uh, we just published our public roadmap. Um, we're working on fractionalization at two big topics for SQ2 or fractionalization of NFTs and uh, financialization of NFTs. So think lending, think DeFi applications. Um, so we're very aggressively trying to work towards those two goals during this quarter. Um, we will have a token sale uh, coming in Q3 of this year. 
Uh, we'll share more details of that as we get closer to Q3. Um, we're also working on a metaverse wearable airdrop. Um, so we're partner partnering with uh, a couple of metaverse projects where you'll be, if you own um, a jersey or a pair of shoes, for example, you'll be able to get an airdrop of those assets as um, a wearable so that your avatar can wear them around. Um, and we are also going to start uh, doing this concept of a uh, mystery drop. And so in the up and coming weeks, we'll publish uh, some more information about that. Um, and that's going to be a very, very exciting drop. Um, we are expanding into additional asset classes. So you will start to see, you, you will continue to see sports. You'll start to see other collectible asset classes, comics, rare books, rare wines, um, anything that we find to, to be a valuable collectible. Um, and we believe there's a market for we're, we're going to start dropping very soon. Hey, sounds great. Uh, before we end the session, is there anything you'd like to share or anything that you want to address to our audience? Um, I would just like to drop Roman's socials. And well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on. This has been a great chat. Um, no uh, join our community, join our Discord, um, Discord uh, slash Roman's. And our Twitter is Roman underscore NFT. Um, we would love to have you guys in where we're, our DMs are always open. Um, we love chatting sports and NFTs in general. Um, and we do have some fun Twitter spaces with some giveaways. So be sure to check those out as well. All right. Thank you for coming on, Nico. Great to have you. Thank you so much. It was great to be on. All right. That wraps up the show. Thank you for listening to the CoinGecko podcast with Bobby. If you like our show and want to know more, check out podcast.coingecko.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback, do drop us an email at hello at coingecko.com. Join us for more next week. See ya! This podcast is provided as part of the overall information on cryptocurrency contained on our website, is for your general information only, and does not, howsoever, constitute any endorsement, financial or investment advice, nor any solicitation or offer of securities or other financial instruments. CoinGecko and the podcast presenter makes no warranties, implied or expressed, of any kind in relation to this podcast, including, without limitation, the accuracy and updatedness of its content. All opinions and recommendations therein the podcast are based on the personal opinion of the presenter. Please conduct your own research and procure professional advice should you, at your own risk, decide to howsoever invest or trade in relation to the content contained in the podcast.